We're looking at Psalm 133. Uh, we're we're going to read the whole thing, verses 1 through 3. A song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The Bible says that all men are like grass, and that all of our glory is like the flower of the field. And the grass withers and flowers fade away, but God's word stands forever. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll talk about it a little more tonight. Heavenly Father, we, we need to stop and ask you to be here with us. Uh, your word is true, and so we know we have to confess that we like grass and like flowers. We wither and we fade away. But your word is so important. It's so solid that it it will stand forever. So Father, we pray that um, we thank you that you would speak to us, that you would give us your sure word. And we pray that you by your Holy Spirit would be here tonight and you would... You would take your word and, and put it inside of us. And, and you would change us by your word. Help us to understand it. And help us to believe it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want you to take a minute and think about a time when you felt the most connected. Uh, when, when you felt the most togetherness with other people. Maybe one or two other people. Maybe a group of people. Um, but actually, I really want you to think about that time. You know, preachers say that. I think about it, and nobody really ever does it, but I really hope you do it. Try to think about a time when you felt the most loved and understood and appreciated um, by other people when you knew that they were just with you. Uh, we could sort of phrase it negatively and say, think about a time when you felt the least lonely. Maybe it's with your family at Christmas or Thanksgiving, something like that. Um, maybe it's uh, with your sorority or your fraternity. Uh, maybe it's with uh, just you and a few of your good friends when you've gone out to dinner or when you've done something. Uh, maybe it's when something bad happened. Uh, maybe you, know, you got broken up with and two or three of your best friends really rallied around you and were just, they were just really there for you. And you felt very together. Uh, Or maybe when a loved one passed away and your family and friends uh, did the same thing. I want you to think of one of those times. Uh, For me, of course, first and foremost, uh, I think of my marriage. In which I experienced that uh, togetherness uh, to the most significant degree. Um, But outside of that... Uh, what comes to my mind is the first thing that jumped to my mind was uh, our RUF staff training. So we do RUF staff training twice a year. We do it for a week in July and a week in December. And the highlight for me, the highlight of those weeks, is everything about it, it's a great week. 
But uh, the best times are, you know, when the day's done, after we've gone out to dinner, we'll usually end up in somebody's room in, in the hotel. And, you know, there'll be like five to eight of us. So, you know, I'm in a room with like five, six, seven of my best friends. And we just sit around and we just talk and we laugh and we share and just tell stories. And so it's just this, it's just a beautiful time because we all have the same job. We're all in the same stage of life. We're all good friends. We get each other. We, you know, we have the same experiences and pressures. And, and it's just a really beautiful time. I want you to think about a time like that. Because um, I'm going to guess that you feel the same way about that time. Even if it's a rare occurrence for you. Maybe even if it's a long time ago. You know how sweet those times can be. How beautiful a thing it is to really be connected to people. And that's exactly what uh, this psalm that we have before us tonight is about. Uh, This semester, you know, we're studying through the psalms. And our theme each week is dealing with feeling. Uh, We've said every week that the psalms are songs. And songs uh, deal with emotion. Right? Our feelings. They help us understand our feelings. They help us uh, express our feelings. They can even help shape how we feel. And the Psalms do the same thing for us. In this Psalm, it's what we call a wisdom Psalm. And it, I think very simply and very beautifully, it just tries to hold up the beauty of being together. Of being truly connected to people. And what that feels like, or as it says, brothers dwelling in unity. It's really almost like a commercial for unity. All right, so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And we're actually going to see, wait for it, four things tonight. We're not going to go longer. Don't worry about that. Deviating from the three. So we're going to see four things. Uh, First, we're going to look at the principle, uh, which is just, we're going to take a minute to look at just the basic idea of what David's saying in here about um, how it's good and pleasant for brothers, uh, and let's be clear, brothers and sisters, right, uh, both, not just males, uh, to dwell in unity. And then our next three points, uh, as we sort of work our way through the psalm, are going to explain, we see David explains why it's good and pleasant, why it's such a good thing. So we're going to look at the principle, and then we're going to see that it's good and pleasant because, number two, God is pleased. Third, we're going to see it's good and pleasant because God provides. And fourthly, we're going to see it's good and pleasant because God promises. They all start with P. I don't know if you think that's cheesy or not, but hey. All right, so first, the principle. All right, what's the, basically, what's the big idea here? What's David trying to say? Um, but you have to understand, this is one of what we call the Psalms of Ascent. Psalms of Ascent are uh, Psalms 120 to 134. Okay, so second to last. And these are the psalms that uh, were, they came to be used by the Israelites as they would travel back to Jerusalem to worship. Uh, typically for their, like for the you know, yearly feast, festival, that sort of thing. Uh, they, would, they would be singing, uh, going through these psalms of ascent. Jerusalem, right, on the mountain, so you're always going up. And so this is obviously a time... They're from a time when God's people would be coming together in one place. And so David's big idea in this psalm 
is to show how good and pleasant, how just great it is for brothers to dwell in unity, to be together, to live together. All right, so a couple of things as we try to understand that. First, we need to understand who it's talking about by brothers. And now look, because of just the way God, God has created the universe and he's created all people, it's certainly fair to say that it's good and pleasant for all people everywhere to, to dwell, men and women, to live in unity, whether you're a believer or not. But this, this psalm, right, the psalms are written for the covenant community, for God's people. And so for our purposes, as we try to understand this and apply it to us, uh, we're going to understand this in light of the church, right? God's people today, uh, those of us uh, that are brothers and sisters in Christ because of Jesus. All right, the second thing I want to notice about this, we need to talk about what he means by dwelling or notice that he says dwelling in unity. He doesn't just say it's, it's right and good and good and pleasant for uh, brothers and sisters to come together and worship in unity. So in other words, he's not just saying, you know, uh, for that hour on Sunday morning, right, it's really great if people come together and, and they're just in harmony and at peace with one another. He says dwelling together. Right? It's the picture of, of living with one another, where your lives are, are connected day in, day out, truly involved with each other. That's what he's talking about. And then a third and final thought about this sort of the big idea. All right, think about what has to be happening if people, brothers and sisters in the church for us, really are living in unity with one another. And by that, what I mean is, is this. All right, because the church is made up of people like me and people like you. And so that is to say people that are, are, that are sinners. Uh, people that are, quite frankly, trouble. We're all trouble, right? Sure, we've been transformed by God. And at the same time, we still have our sin nature. So in other words, we're still... Our natural, my natural tendency and your natural tendency is to care about you first. So what that means is that if people really are living in unity, that means that people must be doing things like forgiving each other. That they must be doing things like humbling themselves and, and being repentant and asking people for forgiveness. Uh, it means that people must be doing things like uh, l- putting down uh, their, laying down their own rights for the sake of relationships. That they're putting other people's needs before their own. Um, that they're putting aside differences like race or political opinion or worship style preference or whatever else. That people are actively laying those things aside. For the sake of living together. Right? It's really a difficult thing. But I, I want you to keep that in mind as we, as we look through the psalm. That when it says dwelling in unity, we can't just think people being happy together. Yes, that, that's true. But there's a lot more behind it. Right? To dwell in unity, to be together, 
All of that has to be taking place. All right, it's difficult, but David says when it works, it's awesome. So that's what we're going to look at for the rest of the time. Uh, We're going to see that it's good and pleasant because, our second point, it's good and pleasant because God is pleased. All right, so this is where we get into the illustrations that David gives, verse 2, right? Um, David, uh, he gives us this illustration of of oil being poured uh, on Aaron's head and it running down his head and all over his beard and onto his robe just all over him. All right, so what's that all about? Well, it's a picture from Exodus 29 and 30. So if you go back to Exodus 29 and 30, what you see is that God is giving instructions to his people, to Moses and the Israelites, about how they're going to worship him. And what he says, uh, he says, have the perfumers, right, those that know how to do this sort of stuff, to make up this very special perfume, this oil, and you're going to pour it all over the head, and it's going to run down all over the head of Aaron, who was the high priest. Now, the high priest was the one that was going to represent the people, all the people, to God. He's your representative. And this perfume, it's... Um, right, so it's, it smells great, and it was just for this purpose. It was really, you know, precious stuff. And so that this picture, it uh, the oil, right? It really does, in a sense, two things. And I, I hope that I can explain this. I hope I don't struggle to explain this because it, there's it's somewhat subtle, but. Right? To, the, to the Israelite, this picture of oil running all over Aaron, it's a picture of the fact, on the one hand, that God is pleased with his people, that he accepts his people. Right? The very fact that he, is, um, that he is allowing this oil to be poured onto the high priest, i.e., sort of by proxy, right, the people, it's just this beautiful visual sign that God accepts us. That he's pleased with us and he accepts us. And, in a sense, because of that, uh, the, the fragrance, the, the, the beautiful sweet smell of that perfume is pleasing to God. Does that make sense? So, um, Because God is pleased, the oil is there. And because the oil is there, it wafts up, in a sense, to God's nostrils, right? And he's pleased. All right, so we're going to try to flesh that out. All right, so first, right, how do we apply that? What's the picture? And I think the idea is this, that that brothers and sisters in Christ, believers living in unity is good, Because it's this living illustration of how God has loved and accepted us. How he's brought us into unity with himself. Right? When you see a person truly wrong someone else, they really do sin against someone else. And then go to that person and and talk about it and repent. And you see that uh, the, the person that was wronged Extend forgiveness. That's this living illustration of how God treats us. It's this constant reminder, right? Living in unity and the work that's involved in it is going to be this, it's good because it's going to be this constant reminder that God loves us. 
Just like the Israelites looking at the, seeing the, you know, the oil run down all over everything. And they're able to, you see that and they think, God really does love us. The same's at work. It's a picture. It's a reminder. Uh, I, had, I heard a story recently uh, from another RUF. The guy was telling about something that was going on in his group. He said he got this girl, a, a visitor. She, was, uh, she and her family were uh, refugees from the Middle East. And she was not a Christian. Uh, but somehow she found her way to RUF. And one of the girls that she first met, or that first met her, uh, was a girl that grew up, um, uh, grew up in a military family. You know, bounced around the country, dad deployed in the Middle East, and, and from what I gathered, quite frankly, wasn't really sure what she felt about people from the Middle East. But this girl comes into RUF, and so she decides to move towards her. And she you know, speaks to her and reaches out to her, and they become friends. And now keep in mind, this girl that's grown up uh, or come to America as a refugee, she doesn't she really dislikes and distrusts the American military. And sort of long story short, this girl ends up getting converted, and these two girls become really good friends. So you've got two people that have no business being together, right? To, to use our language, dwelling in unity. They're just opposites. They don't have any business being together, and yet they are. Because of the gospel. And right, it's this beautiful picture, illustration of how God loves us. About how God is pleased with us. That he moves towards us even though he shouldn't. Because of our sin. And the second sense in which uh, it sort of is a picture of, uh, or this picture of Aaron, that oil running down all over him. Um, the second sense in which I think it helps us to understand about living in unity is that it shows us that when it happens, when we live in unity with one another, it actually pleases God. God's pleased with us, but at the same time, this picture shows us that, that we please God when we do that. And now look, we've got to be incredibly careful here. Okay, so this is, that's not to say, you're not hearing me say that um, if you reconcile, if you live with other people well, live peacefully with other people, you can earn God's favor. You can make him happy towards you. That's not what we're saying. It's not what the Bible's saying at all. Um, it's only because God is already pleased with his people. It's only because he already accepts his people. And because he does, they are pleasing to him, right? Like I said, the oil's there because God accepts Aaron and the people. But because the oil's there, he's pleased by it. All right, so what does that mean? All right, let me give you an illustration that sort of help with that. Um, because it's so important to understand that distinction. I thought about it like this. It's like when my six-year-old, my sweet little Lucy, when, when she gives me one of her uh, drawings... Or when she's colored something. Uh, do those things, when she comes in and, you know, because uh, this happened two days ago. I was doing some work at home. And she knocked on my door and she came in and, you know, big smile on her face. And she hands me this thing she's colored, right? Does that make me happy? Of course it does. 
I love it. It's awesome. Um, It really does please me. Why does she do it? Well, she doesn't do it to try to appease me and hope that she's still in the family. Or try to make sure that, that I'm, you know, I'm still your daughter, right? You still love me, right? No, she, I, she actually does it because she knows I love her. Because she knows that when she comes in and says, Daddy, I did this for you, that I'm going to smile really big and be excited and say, thank you so much. This is beautiful. I love it. And because I do that, right, because I receive her that way, she's, she's even that much happier. And, and because she's that much happier, that makes me that much happier and just sort of bounces back and forth in this upward spiral, right? You get the idea. So I want you to just take just a second. I've been, this has been my favorite part of this, thinking about this for this, this week. Think about the fact if, if you're a believer, you can actually make God happy in that way. That God is pleased with what you do. Right? In this, in, in this regard, like when, when, so I'll say it like this. Um, when, when you go to somebody and you say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. That thing I said to you. Or the way I treated you. That, that was wrong. I'm sorry. I hope you forgive me. That, that God is really pleased by that. That it's this beautiful smell to him. That it's not, it's not just like it's about time because that's what you're supposed to do. It makes him happy. That when you move towards that person that you hurt, even though it's awkward, and it's going to be awkward, uh, when you don't make that person that hurt you pay, pay for it again with the cold shoulder or the snarky comment or whatever. When, you live, when we live in harmony with one another, when we dwell in unity, God really is pleased by that. And that's just a beautiful thing. It's just a cool thought. We need to keep moving. Uh, third, thirdly, our third point. Uh, we see that David basically says that Dwelling in unity is good and it's pleasant because God provides. And this is where we look at that second illustration, verse 3. This is the whole uh, dew falling on Mount Hermon. All right, so what in the world is that about? Well, basically, uh, from, from my research, uh, Mount Hermon is basically the tallest mountain in the area. And it's on the northern border of Israel. And it is known, even to this day... For the just prodigious amount of dew that is produced in and around it. Uh, you can even read, you know, get online and people that camp near it still recording, like, just amazed by how much dew was on their tent when they woke up in the morning. So, still a thing. Um, and the picture is that, so everything, like, it's a super dry, arid area. And it, it is that dew that causes everything to thrive. So the picture is of uh, when, you know, when David says it's like the dew on Mount Hermon, right? What they're, uh, what they're hearing, what they're picturing is that's what's causing everything to grow, to thrive, to live because God's providing. And so David's saying that when God's people live together in unity, 
It's, it's like that do. That, that living together is good because that's where God provides the growth and provides life. That you and I living, being together in our lives, rubbing up against one another and having to forgive and ask forgiveness and extend, that, that that's one of the main ways in which God provides for our growth and our, and our life and our flourishing. But we, just to put it bluntly, we just simply need each other. Right? God designed us to be in community. Uh, in fact, a lot of commentators connect verse 1 where he says it's good and pleasant. That good, back to Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Right? If you remember back in Genesis 1 and 2 when God creates, what does he do? Or how is it recorded? He, you know, day 1, he creates this and that. And then it's what? And God saw that it was good. And it's day 2, creates, and God saw that it was good. And it was good. And it was good. And then you get to 2.18 and God says it is not Good. That what? Man should be alone. And so what does God do? God creates community. Right? And here in Psalm 133, David's saying it's good. It's the same Hebrew word. When brothers dwell in unity, there's just something about it. Like we, we have to have it for life. And God provides it. All right, just a few quick applications about how God provides us with Life and growth in community. Um, and look, this is not to say, that, like, these are, this is not an exhaustive list of the benefits of community, right? Far from it. Um, but one thought. We actually, we need people around us involved in our lives to help us see ourselves for who we really are. We're actually terrible judges of ourselves, We're not near as objective about ourselves as we like to think. And we need other people. We have to be in community with other people to know who we are, to know how we come across, to know how we hurt people, to know, to help us see our blind spots and our failures. Uh, Another aspect or another application, we need people, right? This is the arena in which God grows us. Because we need other people to help us remember the gospel. We need people around us to point us to the good news. Because we forget it. We need people, or rather, we need to experience people forgiving us. That exercise in and of itself grows us. Because, I mean, really, it's like what we just said in the, in the previous point. It's an illustration of God's love to us. We need people to love us, to hug us. And we need people to cook meals for us when we're sad. We, you know, on and on. We need people to listen to us. Because it shows us the love of God. Uh, last one I want to throw out. We need people. I put that in quotes. I, you know, do we need people to do this? There's a sense in which we, very real sense in which we do. We need people to sin against us so that we can extend forgiveness. And in some sense, that might sound weird, but because it points us to and it forces us to rely on God's grace. Right? That God, 
That's how God grows us in patience and forgiveness and in his grace. Right? If you're like me, I tend to think, you know, if I pray for patience or I pray I need to be a more forgiving person, I default to thinking that that's gonna, God's going to grow me like sort of magically while I sit there at my desk and pray about it. He's going to sort of like, I don't know, do some deal and like, I'll just be different. And yeah, I mean, like that's important, right? Praying and reading your Bible and in that moment, does God do stuff? I'm sure he does. But it all gets exercised. Uh, you grow when you exercise showing patience. When you have to deal with that person again. When you have to deal with that guy or girl again. That's when... Yeah, that's the arena in which God grows us. He provides for us our growth in that way. All right, we need to wind up. So let's move to our fourth point. Fourthly and finally, we see that uh, it's, it's right and it's, it's good and pleasant that we dwell in unity. Um, and it's good because God promises. This is the last uh, statement that David makes there. He says, for there, he's talking about Zion, right, that he just spoke about. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, and the blessing is life forevermore. So David basically says that brothers and sisters living in unity together is good because it's a taste of what's to come. That God has made these promises to us. Um, He's made these promises of of eternal life. That we're going to be with him forever. And we're going to be with one another forever. And it's going to be perfect. And he's promised that like the life forever. And it's so the future because of those future reality or rather we get to experience that in some manner here and now. And that's why it's good that we work out and we try to live together as hard as it is. Because it's a little taste of what's coming. Of the promise that God makes. Of that reality. And we get to experience that even here and now. Because, because there's actually a greater high priest than Aaron. And there's actually a greater king than David that wrote the song. Right, This sweet unity... It's made a reality because God sent his own son. He cared so much about about dwelling in unity with us. That he came in the person of Jesus. Uh, Jesus even prayed about that unity uh, that he was going to accomplish in John 17. It's what we call the high priestly prayer. Listen to what Jesus prays for. This is really amazing. He says, I do not ask for these only, speaking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may all be one. And how how much one? Just as Father, uh, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me. Love them, even as you love me. Now look, if that sounds sort of like this complicated 
sort of mixed match of like in them and you and me, that's because it is. And that's in a sense what's beautiful about it. Right, think about, he's saying that we will experience the same unity and togetherness that the Trinity has. And that we will experience with God and we get the, we get the reality of that even now. The same unity with God that Jesus has with God. Not just like kind of like it, not half of it, which would be amazing. Exactly like it so that you almost can't even pick it apart. God cared about reconciling and, and dwelling in unity with us so much that, he, that Jesus came and he took all of our sin on himself. And he, and he gave us all his righteousness just so he could take two parties that were completely at odds with one another. right? Us and our sin and our hatred for God and him and his perfection and his holiness. And it's all by grace. And it's actually that grace and mercy that it's only that grace and mercy that works on us. It's only that grace and mercy that will grow us to be people that will actually be able to reach out towards others and seek unity. Because when we see that God's forgiven our offense against him, then, then the ways that our character or our dignity or personality or whatever are offended by others, those begin to, to pale. And we're able more and more to, to go towards people with grace because we've been shown grace. And that's what David says is so sweet. It's the good news of the gospel, and that's what's offered to us tonight. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for good news, for great news, that you would reconcile us to yourself, that you would dwell, that you would want to dwell in unity with us. Father, thank you that for that reality, would you cause us to believe it and grow in it and seek to be with one another in unity. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.